Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to another episode of Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Keith Poston. As you know, each episode we focus on a central topic. This week is early childhood education. North Carolina was an early leader nationally in increasing access to early childhood education with the creation of Smart Start in 1993, a unique public-private public partnership that still serves thousands of North Carolina children every year. We'll talk to Smart Start's president, as well as the head of an early childhood education group and a Duke University researcher who published a study on early childhood education that is generating attention across the country. All of this on today's show. Like every week before we tackle the main topic, we open with a segment we call Headlines. It's a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. As we predicted in last week's headlines, Donald Trump has tapped a prominent figure from the school choice movement to head the U.S. Department of Education. Betsy DeVos, a billionaire and conservative activist who has bankrolled efforts to expand private school vouchers and charter schools, has been nominated to head up the 4,400-person department that establishes policy and administers most federal assistance to education. Critics point out that DeVos has never worked in education and, like her children, only attended private religious schools, which have been primary beneficiaries, along with for-profit charter and private school operators, of her advocacy and funding efforts. Supporters praise her as an education reformer who will bring much-needed choice to families across the U.S. For many students, dropping out of high school isn't the end of the line, but more like a stop-out along the path to a diploma. This is according to the National Center for Education Statistics. Of the students who entered high school in 2009, fewer than 3% were no longer in school in 2012, but nearly 7% had stopped out, that is, left school for four weeks or more at some point in grades 9 through 11, only to have returned by 2012. The federal study found that students in the poorest 20% of families nationwide were generally more likely than those from other income groups to both stop out or drop out. Last week, U.S. Education Secretary John King sent a letter to governors and school leaders across the U.S. asking for an end to hitting and paddling of students. North Carolina is one of 22 states that still allow corporal punishment, whether it be paddling, spanking, or hitting students. Secretary King called for the elimination of corporal punishment, calling it an outdated disciplinary method that educators, medical professionals, and researchers agree is harmful to students, which the data shows us unequivocally disproportionately impacts students of color and students with disabilities. Secretary King went on to say statistics show it doesn't improve student performance or change unwanted behaviors. Finally, we'd like to extend our sincere condolences to the family and friends of North Carolina Central University community on the death of Chancellor Deborah Saunders White. Chancellor Saunders White died of cancer last week at the young age of 59, a little more than three years after she brought a can-do spirit and the mantra of eagle excellence to campus. Chancellor Saunders White was the first permanent female leader and the 11th chancellor of the historically black university in Durham. She will be missed. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. 
As I said at the top of the program, we're going to focus this week on early childhood education. If you recall last week's headlines, I mentioned a new study that found early childhood education leads to higher test scores, a lower chance of being held back in a grade, and fewer number of children with special ed placements, and that those benefits last longer than previously thought. Joining us for our first segment is the primary author of that study, Dr. Kenneth Dodge. He is the William Dougal Professor of Public Policy and Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience at Duke University and the founder of the Center for Child and Family Policy. Thanks for being here, Ken. Thank you for having me. Now, one of the things that really drew me to your study when I, when I saw the, the reports and saw that it came out was that you were talking about and studying North Carolina children. These were actually, this wasn't some abstract group of kids from across the country. You were actually looking at our kids. Um, tell us what you found and sort of how you did it. Yeah, that's right. There are programs all over the country, uh, and the programs differ. Uh, we wanted to know how North Carolina's programs have an impact on children. As you said earlier, North Carolina has two nationally known programs, Smart Start, which is directed toward children birth to age five, and NC Pre-K, formerly Mort Four, which is a year of pre-kindergarten. These two programs have been in place for the past 20 years in North Carolina, but they have been funded at different levels and have been rolled out at different times in different communities in different years, depending on budgets and that sort of thing. Well, we took advantage, my colleagues and I took advantage of that fact to ask the question of whether the money makes a difference. If you were lucky enough to be born in a county in a year when your county got more of this funding for Smart Start or NC Pre-K, did you benefit? We found uh, by examining uh, it, uh, large amounts of administrative data on over a million children in North Carolina over the past 20 years that indeed each of these programs has a positive impact and unlike programs in other states, some other states, the impacts on North Carolina's children last, at least through the end of elementary school. Now, you mentioned something in that answer, you said, which, which we've actually explored on this show before when you said about children lucky enough to be born in a county. Yes. We, we, unfortunately, in North Carolina, there are, in, in many cases, two North Carolinas, and there are things that children have access to in some parts of the state that they don't have in others. But you found that children who had quality childhood education benefited tremendously. I mean, what are the sort of the, the key takeaways or how they benefited? What are the things specifically? Right. We examined four important educational outcomes. Children's standardized reading uh, achievement test scores uh, all the way through the end of elementary school by the end of grade five. Math standardized achievement test scores. Uh, grade retention, that is, failing a grade or being forced to uh, repeat a grade, and placement into special education for learning disabilities, behavior problems, whatever the cause might be. And on each of those four measures, if you were lucky enough to be born in a county that received a large amount of funding for one of these programs, your outcomes were better. About uh, a half a year of learning improvement, which is a substantial amount. And the, and the, um, the benefits lasted further than maybe previously thought. We can put, we've got a slide right. we're going to pull up on the screen. This is something that was from your report. You talk about how the um, really shows a, a gain of, um, of impact uh, across the years. That's right. One of the concerns that got raised in evaluations from other states was that perhaps these positive impacts faded out over time and really wasn't a good long-term investment. So we were very keen on observing whether the impacts lasted in grade three, grade four, and grade five. And what the slide shows is that for all of the measures, the impacts not only are sustained, but actually slightly grow, uh, so that by the end of fifth grade, it's over a half a year of learning advantage for children who have benefited from these programs. Well, that, I mean, that's, a, that's obviously a tremendous uh, uh, 
improvement. Now, did you see any differences when you looked at the children served in terms of from socioeconomic? I mean, were children from poorer we, families, did they benefit more, less, the same? Right. We did examine different subgroups because that's a very important question. And we found that for each of the subgroups that we examined, the effects are positive and last. They're strongest for the children from the lowest income backgrounds which is really good news because it means that these programs have the potential to close that achievement gap. And they close the gap without uh, any kind of disadvantage or suffering from the middle income children. They gain from these programs as well. Right. Now in our next segment we're going to talk to a couple of leaders in early childhood education, but you looked at the sort of the two primary programs, so it wasn't just NC Pre-K, you looked at Smart Start. So we're really talking about birth to five and the year before school, right? That's right, and we found that each of those programs has a positive impact and they supplement each other. You can't substitute one program for the other. What we're learning is we really need a birth to age eight or, or birth to adulthood uh, approach uh, to education and that each of these programs has a positive impact and the best impact is if you're benefiting from both of the programs. You know, we were chatting before uh, we started rolling about the sort of the how public education, education in general has changed over um, yes. our lifetimes, our parents' lifetime. You know, it used to be, you know, eight, eight years of education was enough, and then we said 10, 12. Yes. Should we be thinking about going the other way? Absolutely. So when public education began in America about 175 years ago, the best thinkers at that time assumed that learning didn't begin till age seven. That was the age of reason. And we thought what we did for our children before that age really made no difference at all. Well learning from developmental science, brain science has told us that brain development is maximized during early life. And so now we've moved to adding kindergarten. Now there's a move to add pre-kindergarten. And absolutely, we should start at birth, if not before, in how we take care of our children. Now you've been, I mean, you've obviously studied um, um, early childhood education, but have you ever seen anything like this in terms of this kind of sort of consistent benefit uh, from any kind of early, any kind of education intervention? I mean, this is pretty remarkable. What's remarkable about it is that these positive impacts are occurring for scaled up programs at state levels. So historically there have been small programs, the famous Abbasidarian program out of Frank Porter Graham Child Development Center at UNC Chapel Hill is wonderful, but it served only 100 children. We're talking about programs that are statewide, so it shows that we can do it, even if we implement it at this large scale. Well, we appreciate you being here and appreciate your study, and uh, the viewers can go online and actually get a, we'll have a link to the full study and some other news stories about it, so thank you. But when we come back, we'll be joined by two of our state's leading experts on early childhood programs in North Carolina. But first, as we go to break, see if you can answer this question. What percentage of four-year-olds in North Carolina are enrolled in pre-K? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you guess 22%? According to the National Institute for Early Education Research, just 22% of North Carolina's four-year-olds are in a pre-K program. 
Perhaps our next guest can shed a little more light on numbers like that and much more. They are Tracy Zimmerman, who is the Executive Director of the North Carolina Early Childhood Foundation, and Cindy Watkins, who is the President of the North Carolina Statewide Smart Start Network. Thank you both for being here. Um, Tracy, I'm going to start with you. Um, if you've lived in North Carolina for any period of time, or even, frankly, if you've just moved here, you've probably heard of Smart Start, you've heard of NC Pre-K, maybe precursors like more mm -hmm. at four. What is the universe when we talk about early childhood education? What is the universe in North Carolina? I think that's a really good question, Keith, because we need to be thinking much more broadly about what the universe is when we're talking about young children and what it is they need to succeed. So we know for children to do well in school, um, to be reading on grade level by third grade, which is significantly important for them and their future uh, academic success. They need health and development on track beginning at birth. They need supported and supportive um, families and communities and high quality early learning. Children are, come as a whole package right. and they need all of that tended to to be able to succeed academically. So there are lots of different types of programs, but policies are also just as important in thinking about how do we best support our young children. Now, Cindy, you're, as I mentioned when I introduced you, you're the head of uh, Smart Start in North Carolina, which I'll give you a chance to, uh, to tell the viewers sort of what that encompasses. But, I mean, Smart Start was really, uh, from my view, what put North Carolina on the map uh, nationally in terms of early childhood education, championed by our former governor, Jim Hunt, uh, in his second go-round as governor. I mean, so why does Smart Start work? Um, sort of what are the things that are happening there that you're most proud of? Well, there are a couple of things that I think really make this um, such a, a wonderful state to live in and a, such a model for the rest of the country. As Tracy mentioned, it is the fact that we focus on children in their communities and we take a whole child approach. We focus on their health, we focus on supporting their families, we focus on raising the quality of care, and we have recently really put more of a focus on pre-literacy skills, understanding that the children that, when children enter school with a wider vocabulary, they're much more likely to be readers by third grade. And then we know um, all the data that indicates that readers in third grade are much more likely to graduate from high school. So I think that's one of the keys is that's very um, holistic mm -hmm. in the approach that we take. And the other is it's very locally controlled. So what works in Mecklenburg County may not work in Bertie County in exactly the same way. So we have a network that provides services all across the state and it's local communities coming together, convening partners around how they can move a data point to make a better outcome. Right, for young I, was, children. I was looking at some of the various resources and services that are offered across the state. And like you mentioned, it's pre-literacy, early reading. You've got uh, health. I mean, obviously, you know, childhood obesity is a big deal. We've got parts of our state where there are for more challenges around health. I mean, we have fewer doctors, fewer, you know, sort of, in fact, I, I think I've maybe mentioned this stat before on the show. If you took you know, Eastern North Carolina, like sort of split the state at I-95, it would be like the 51st most unhealthy state in the country because of sort of leading health indicators and the number of doctors. Tracy, let me um, um, ask you, um, I mentioned one of the graphics we're going to show when we go to break is about the number of children on waiting lists um, and other learning programs, but that's not even the total number of children. Those are just ones we know about, right? So there's a lot of children that right now that they just aren't served, there's no access for them. That's correct. So we know that our programs do really great things for the children that they reach. Um, and so if they were able to reach more children, we'd be much better situated. 
I mentioned before about third grade reading. I just want to come back to that for a second. And the reason why it's so important is that it's such a predictor of future academic success. And our General Assembly has recognized that through Read to Achieve. And so if we're going to get there, all of those children need to benefit beginning at birth um, with those health and family and early learning, high quality early learning programs. And so I think that's really an important thing to be thinking about. The goals that we have as a state really are rooted in what we do for our young children. Right. Now, Cindy, um, Smart Start resources, services available everywhere in North Carolina? They are available um, in every one, all of the 100 counties in our state. Um, but as uh, Dr. Dodge referenced earlier, we don't have the same resources available in every community. And I think that speaks to our need to really think about the investment we're making and how we can make the greatest impact. And according to his study, it is the amount of funding and the length of the time that funding has been available that's made the greatest impact. And we're, and I mean, and today we're, I mean, we're, we're not, we're not funding at the same levels, not reaching as many kids as we have before. Is that correct? No, uh, I think our funding has been reduced probably by a third over the last eight to ten years. Um, so as our budget has gone down, um, the need has gone up. Not only do we have more children, we have more children in poverty, and we know that those are the children that benefit most from the services well, that we a, offer. Well, that's actually a really great point, um, that the, we, the children in poverty, obviously, these kind of things, you've got families who have means and resources, they have ability to sort of bring in other things, um, but uh, Smart Start really sort of fills that uh, void in yeah, some we, families. We like to talk, or I like to talk about at least as an opportunity gap. Yeah. There are many parents who are able to uh, make sure that their children have the early experiences they need to put them on track to be successful in kindergarten. But there are other parents that just don't have quite the resources available to them or access to the resources that they need. So, you know, it could be an education gap, it could be an opportunity gap, but there is a gap. Yeah, I like, I like opportunity gap too, because I yeah. think it shows that we have something we can do positive. Right. Tracy, I'm going to ask you last question for you. A recent effort just announced in Charlotte, they're going to study universal pre-K, all children in, in the Charlotte area. Um, what do you think about, um, should that be our goal? I mean, is that a good effort? Should that be our goal as a state? Well, I think absolutely access for all children should be a goal. And we see more counties and municipalities stepping up to say we need to be doing more for our young children because they recognize it's imperative to their future economic um, prosperity and success. And voters support this. That's the other thing. This is a bipartisan issue. Our recent polling shows there's overwhelming support for investments in early learning. So it's good for, um, it, it has broad support and it's good for children. Tracy, great way to end it. Thank you both for being here. We appreciate what you do. Now, we hope you all come back um, for this week's Leadership Spotlight. Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from viewers like you. This week, we go to Chapel Hill. Leadership Spotlight is presented by the Burroughs Welcome Fund, advancing biomedical science by supporting research and education. 
We opened our school with a vision of uh, being a professional learning community. That was really important to our planning team to hire teachers um, and staff who wanted to be a part of working collaboratively to focus on student learning. My push for them is to be as collaborative as possible. So they are um, sharing in the student learning while we're making student learning the focus and the priority. Um, the teachers' roles are to work together to um, design instruction and plan together to assess student learning together, share their results, um, and work for the good of all the children in the school. I think that definitely trickles all the way down to the students and makes them happy to be here and excited about their learning. She does a great job of empowering the teachers to become leaders as well in supporting their goals, taking risks, trying new things. She's very receptive and then also she just has a human quality where it's, she's not just our boss. She's, she's very compassionate and sees us as people who, who have a hard job to do at the end of the day that we're all on sort of this team together. We can't, we can't reach children until they know that we value them and that we respect them and that we care about them. And that, that may start in the classroom, but it really transcends throughout the school. I think that every child needs to feel like the school is their home, it's their, it's their place, and there are people who care about them. And um, when that happens, when they feel connected and feel cared for, then they are much more ready to learn, they're ready to take risks, they're ready to accept new challenges, and we can push them to reach their potential. North Carolina is fortunate to have school leaders like Amy Rickard. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. My daughter is now 16 years old, but I can clearly remember her first day of kindergarten. Having had three years of preschool with some great teachers and a safe and supportive preschool, my daughter was starting school ready to learn and eager to learn. But that was not the case for many of her classmates. Some did not know yet how to properly hold a pencil or crayon or use a pair of scissors. Many did not know their alphabet or numbers and certainly couldn't read at pre-kindergarten level. And some had to do their best to translate what the school staff was saying for their Spanish-speaking parents. Parents who were so excited for their child to begin their educational journey, but a journey that they were sadly already starting off on behind many of their peers. That readiness gap could have been closed in spite of hurdles that socioeconomic conditions create with early intervention. But those children, with the help of truly heroic teachers, are left to play catch-up, something many of them never truly do. We know from the research that if children do not reach grade level achievement in reading by third grade, the odds are stacked against them ever completing high school ready for college and careers. Yes, many defy the odds, but why make it so hard when we know what's needed? Early childhood education works. You heard from Ken Dodge that children with access to early childhood programs have higher test scores, a lower chance of being held back in a grade, and fewer end up in special education. And those gains last past the critical third grade year and beyond, contradicting an old study out of Tennessee that suggested that benefits of pre-K fade. I have sat in committee meetings at the General Assembly and heard that Tennessee study cited by some legislators to question pre-K funding. 
I said some because the fact is early childhood education funding enjoys bipartisan support, not just from legislators, but from voters. Yet today we have more than 30,000 children on waiting lists for affordable early childhood care. More than 7,000 children on the wait list for the state's pre-K services. It seems every week we talk about issues like school resources and teacher pay and now early childhood where the research is clear and the public is behind it, yet they still end up behind other priorities when it's state budget time. Maybe 2017 will be the year when we start making progress toward aligning our state's values with our state's budget. That's it for this week. Next week we're going to talk about another challenging issue, race and education. Thanks for watching and see you next week.